Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I'm an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Good afternoon. And today we are discussing Chapter 20 of Persuasion by Jane Austen. An awful lot happens in Chapter 20. So on the surface, they go and see a singer. That's pretty much it. But Anne runs into Captain Wentworth twice during the evening. Um, in her first conversation, she ascertains that he's in love with her. And then in her second conversation, she ascertains that he's jealous of Mr. Elliot. There's also some interplay with Mr. Elliot indicating that he knows her from a very long time ago or knows of her from a very long time ago. Of course, there continues to be Aunt Durimple's wonderful. So they're waiting in the octagon room before the concert's about to start. And Captain Wentworth comes up to talk to Anne. You have to remember, they're waiting because they can't possibly enter without Lady Dalrymple first arriving. So they're hovering <laughs> till she gets there. So they're not waiting, they're hovering. So Anne is talking to Captain Wentworth. She's worried about her father and her sister, but she's given a bit of backbone by them being behind her. So she's hoping that they'll do the appropriate things. And eventually they give a slight bow and a slight curtsy. This... Though late, and reluctant, and ungracious, was yet better than nothing. Yes. <laughs> That's so obnoxious. And, and it lifts her spirits. I can't believe that. That was so rude. But they've actually acknowledged him. They have acknowledged him, so that's something. So she wasn't embarrassed in the sense... I mean, yes, she knows how ungracious they are by now, and she knows there's nothing she can change about that. Captain Wentworth already knows how they are. <laughs> but this is public, and they've had to make the effort. Publicly acknowledging him. Publicly acknowledging deal. him. And actually, they would have looked very odd not to have done, because he obviously has got a lot of contacts and acquaintances in Bath who know of his good character. He gets a little embarrassed when he's talking to her. Mm. He gets a little smile and a little glow, which is a blush. Mm. And he brings up Lyme and says, you know, I hope that you're okay sort of thing. It was it was terrible. He admires what her courage under fire, as it were, her ability to, to keep cool and calm and collected and actually take control. And he acknowledges that. And sending for Benick for the surgeon and making sure somebody was looking after Louisa, because everybody else was panicking. They were awful. Uh, they were no use at all. They were no use at all. She was the one out of all of them that actually took action. Which brings them to the conversation about Benick and Louisa. He refers to Louisa as a very amiable, sweet-tempered girl. And I wonder if he's going, she's a bit young? I think that's exactly what he recognises. She's a girl. He doesn't want a girl anymore. And he's confused why Benick fell for her, not to say she's a bad person. Which but... is ironic, because after all, there we have Lady Russell being very confused why Benick fell for Louisa when Anne was there. For, and very much for the same sort of reason, in the sense that Anne's an intelligent woman, can have good conversation, she's a lovely personality, very capable, and it's like... And there's this unformed woman, girl, Louisa. Some men just want a pretty face. And the other key thing, I think, is when later on in the chapter, Captain Wentworth talks about he's a reading man. Well, yes, but he's a romantic reading man. He is a clever man, a reading man. 
but actually he he's also into those kinds of Dream melodramas mm. which I would think you know, I could imagine he and Louisa reading chapters out of Marmion and the Corsair and all sorts of things. Plays role playing, they would role play. Mm. <laughs> yeah. He confers her to Fanny Harville, who was a very superior creature, and refers to her as a woman. But it almost sounds like he's talking about himself because you made this noise when we were reading it. With a heart pierced, wounded, almost mm. broken. These are echoing the words of his later letter. He cannot help but put himself in that situation. He has pined over Anne for eight years. His heart was pierced by her refusal. And he's almost referring to that without saying the words out loud, obviously. But he obviously did not recover from her rejection within the 12 months as Benecat. So there's a difference in depth of the feeling or just personalities. I think there would have also been a reaction. See, Bennett's grieved, and they grieved for shorter periods, but it was a time when you know people were going to battle. They got married quickly. They they formed relationships quickly, as, as people do during wars. And it wasn't as if Fanny was going to be coming back by any stretch of the imagination. This isn't Withering Heights. Captain McMurray says something interesting, which made me think of Pride and Prejudice. Had it been the effect of gratitude... Mm. Had he learnt to love her because he believed her to be preferring him. And that's very much the basis of Elizabeth's love for Mr. Darcy and Pride and Prejudice. And it's said several times that word gratitude crops up. Mm. And that's how she starts to feel for him because it's, oh, he sees me as something wonderful. It was the opening of the door for Elizabeth. Yes, there was also a realising that she had misjudged him and learning who he was as a person and going actually he's kind of a great guy yeah so it must be something that must be in the forefront of Jane Austen's mind that she possibly had seen this happen that this thing has come up again this you fall in love because somebody loves you there's probably no aphrodisiac more than that knowing somebody loves you without it getting to the stalking territory <laughs> which is what we would talk about day or obsession you know <laughs> Fine line? Fine line. Well, fine yes. Line. I've had a few of mine and a few. A few soldiers? That's too strong a term, but people that I had not realised just how emotionally involved they were, how attached. I think when you're not feeling the same level as somebody else, it somehow highlights what they're feeling to you. And it can feel like it's obsessive because you're not meeting them on the same level. So this has all happened while they're standing outside. Yes, still haven't even got this time gone inside. And then Lady Drimple arrives. And it's so convenient that Mr. Elliot and Colonel Willis arrive at nearly the same instant. Which makes me think of in the Watsons, I think his name might actually be Musgrove. Tom Musgrove? And the Watsons is waiting for Lord I can't remember his name. But he's waiting for the reigning family to come so he can walk in with them. They probably timed it purposely so they would run into Lady Dorimple so they could walk in with them. Oh, they very much would have. You you can see they're very, the two of them are very manipulative. And they they do a bit of that. Oh, don't they? They do a bit of that. They make their grand entrance 
to go into the concert hall and be of all the consequence in their power, draw as many eyes, excite as many whispers, and disturb as many people as they could. (laughs) They do have two ladies, one sir and one colonel, so it is quite an impressive outfit that they're in. Were they fashionably late as well? Because it hasn't started, but that must have been quite close to the start. Yes, or were they not starting until the The ladies arrived? I wondered whose thoughts these were, though. Is this just the narrator speaking, or is this something that Anne's cynically thinking about her group? I think Anne's got quite cynical about it. I think she knows very well it's all about image, isn't it? She knew her father, and that's how her father... Thanks, yeah. I suppose you'd have to have a certain sense of humour to put up with that father for a long time. Oh, I think so. Sense of the ridiculousness. (laughs) The text compares Elizabeth and Anne's happiness as they're walking in and says it's unfair, actually, to compare the two. One is all selfish vanity. But it talks about Elizabeth looking on the broad back of the Dowager Viscountess de Rimple. Does broad back mean fat? I don't think she would have been skinny. I think also because in those days, weight meant something different too. Mm. If you were fat, it's because you could afford to eat. Well, yes, that's right. Whereas these days, the skinnier you are, the richer you are, and I just feel so sad for them. Have all that money and not be able to eat. What is the point? (laughs) They go to sit down, and Mr. Elliot manoeuvred with the assistance of Colonel Wallace to sit next to Anne. So there's their scheming again. And those words are very deliberately there to show that it's a deliberate action, it isn't. And and it's not necessarily a positive one. The manoeuvring makes it sound like a negative thing, you think? Very calculated. And they calculate to keep Elizabeth happy as well, so that she doesn't disrupt. There are lots of breaks in between. So all the action happens in between the breaks of the singing. We don't really hear much about the singing itself. Why was Mr. Elliot focusing so much on Anne as opposed to Elizabeth? Well, he likes Anne. He genuinely seems to like her. She is a very likeable character. I'm not sure how bad he is, per se. He's just one of those manipulative people. I mean, he knows what he wants, and he goes out and gets it. If you look at it just from that perspective, there's nothing wrong with him. But the way that he steps over people to get what he wants is not great. He indicates that he has a longer acquaintance with Anne's character than she is aware of. Now, I found that really fascinating because what that actually came up for me wasn't like Anne thinks it might have been Captain Wentworth's brother. Mm -hmm. I think it was Mrs. Smith. Anne comes to that conclusion later on as well. Mm. Anne says, you might have heard from me previously spoken of in my family, and my note on that is doubt it. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) They wouldn't mention Anne unless she was there. Like, when Anne turned up in Bath, she was introduced as the younger daughter. Mary was forgotten because she wasn't there and she wasn't of any consequence. If Mary had married a lord, perhaps they'd say, my middle daughter, my youngest daughter is married to a lord. Yes. But there's no reason to mention her otherwise. Except in the scheme of things, the youngest daughter is actually above all of them because she's married. So Mr. Elliot teases her actually longer than I remembered him doing. Goes on, doesn't he? He goes on. He overdoes it. 
This is the, when she starts to get a little bit more suspicious. The name of Anne Elliot has long had an interesting sound to me. If I did, I would breathe my wishes that the name might never change. He's basically saying, well, I can't quite yet because I haven't been in mourning long enough, but I would like to marry you. Yeah. I'm making this... I'm trying to make it as clear as I can within society's rules. Yes. Which is a bold move. It's a very bold move. Perfect timing. Anne's like, I'm not listening to you right now. My father and Lady Dorimple are looking at Captain Wentworth. Yes. <laughs> so you can tell who's more important to her. Um, yes. Despite having had this semi-proposal, she's ignoring it. <laughs> his speech distressed her. She wished him not so very near. It was misery to think of Mr. Elliot's attentions. Their evil was incalculable. The interesting thing that happens here is she is... She's trapped. She's got a couple of different conversations with men, and none of them are speaking openly with each other. No. She listens to Captain Wentworth outside the octagon room, and she's like, oh my god, he loves me. But he doesn't say it, and he can't even say anything close to that. And she's talking to Mr. Elliot, she goes, oh my god, he wants to marry me. But again, he doesn't say it. They can't speak openly. No. And that means that she can't reply openly either. She can't say anything. No, if she tries to reject Mr. Elliot now, she'll be seen as some sort of skank. If she tried to throw herself at Captain Wentworth, she would be seen as throwing herself at Captain Wentworth. They have to make the first move. They have to declare something before she can Mm. say yes or no. Which puts her in a terribly difficult position. It is. It's that waiting. And also knowing that Mr. Wentworth is is looked on positively by her father and Lady Russell. So maybe her father not so much. He enjoys his company. Mr. Elliot, me. Mr. Elliot, yes. She can't easily avoid him. Should she publicly reject him? Yes. She does get to have another conversation with Captain Wentworth. And there's a little scheming of her own to get herself towards the end of the row. Mm. So Mr. Elliot gets claimed by Miss Carteret and Elizabeth and she schemes to get herself at the end of the row so if Captain Wentworth comes close by she can talk to him. Which I find quite amusing the the scheming and the, the claiming because I'm fairly sure that both Elizabeth and Miss Carteret are claiming because they want to put a spike in the wheel of Anne and Mr. Elliot. Not realising that, of course, Anne's delighted by the whole thing. (laughs) You can have him. Take him away. Take him away. Mrs. Clay's not mentioned. I wonder who she's sitting next to. She may not have come this evening. No, she came. Yeah, Sir Walter, his two daughters and Mrs. Clay were the earliest of all their party at the rooms in the evening. Well, she'll be at the back, won't she? Mm. Just to not even be mentioned, though. Mr. Elliot interrupts her conversation with Captain Wentworth. Never had she sacrificed to politeness with a more suffering spirit, and I wonder, was it impolite to interrupt their conversation in the first place? Yes. And this is where he gets jealous of Mr. Elliot, which you would when someone's like, sorry, I know we're in the middle of a conversation, I'm just going to go talk to this guy. And he waits while she finishes that off, um, and then he's like, I'm out. Not not staying for the rest of this. Can't compete. And we find out that Anne speaks Italian, or at least can read Italian and can translate Italian. Anne's a educated lady, woman. Well, she had, of course, the schooling with her governess and things, 
but also as an individual she's obviously much more inclined to better herself she has a lot of time for herself too Caroline Bingley lists French and German I believe but not Italian so I didn't think Italian was a language that was so widely known perhaps I think Italian Italian would have been known a lot through music of course so a lot of people probably could work out the words for songs but not necessarily had a conversation or much conversation because so much of the music would have been Italian music operas and things like that would have all been in Italian I think the next few instalments are going to be interesting we're so close to the end I know she has two personable men attracted to her lucky her and that is our summary of chapter 20 of Persuasion by Jane Austen my name is Frances Duncan you can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on twitter at francis underscore duncan thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now I haven't actually got merch with my face on it that seems a little weird to me but if you really want it let me know and I'll do that there's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo uh, some Jane Austen merch and some Pride and Prejudice heavily pride focused merch too it's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes happy buying